Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, Bethel. We want to welcome our streaming family. Put your hands together, saints. Good morning. God bless you all. Welcome in Jesus' name. We're beginning a new series called The Macedonian Moment. And beloved, I'm excited and I'm loaded for bear today. My assignment today is going to be bringing the first installment of our new series called A Macedonian Moment. What on earth is he talking about? Which is what I hear all the time when folk look in. What's he talking about? Well, we're going to find out today what a Macedonian moment is. We're going to find out about the churches of Macedon, the most generous, gracious, heartfelt, and loving saints the Apostle Paul ever witnessed. And I have the privilege of serving as pastor to the greatest, open-hearted, most liberal, giving, and loving congregation there is. Sorry, every other church in the world. I've got my jewels, my rubies, this is my little vault, and I am absolutely, along with Jesus, holding up all of his gorgeous gems and revealing every facet. That's the season we're entering into. He's he's looking at you. He's putting you up to the light and going, look at my daughter. Look, isn't she something? Look at this. Isn't my son? Isn't he amazing? Look at this facet. You didn't know this about him, did you? He's, He's lavishing upon his precious gems, his favor. You know, we mentioned before the pearl was the only gem that comes from a living thing. And it's the only priceless thing that has absolutely no utility next to being adored. Pearls only, that you if you hit them, they break and they're worthless. But the only gem that has absolutely no utility except to be looked at. And God loves his precious pearls. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing all of you today in God's little pearl canister. He's pulling out his choice pearls. He's putting them in their unique settings in order to display them to the world so that the world can see. Remember we taught on the Philadelphia church, uh, the little love church in the book of Revelation, the only of the seven churches of Revelation, which was a church that got no rebuke. And God said, for you, I'm going to let the world look in and see you, my little love church, my little Philadelphia church full of pearls, because I'll open a door no one can close and I'll close doors no one can open so that, that they will see your faithfulness in the midst of trial and under great pressure. He didn't rebuke the Philadelphia church. Or the Smyrna church, that was the suffering church. Uh, Only two out of the seven got no rebuke. And so I'm speaking now to God's pearls. Amen. Last week we talked about Jesus. And uh, one of the reasons I love him so much, it was his birthday last week. That's right. We we would forego the candles because we're in a drought. But we found out last week that the Messiah was most distinguished by the fact that a bruised reed he would not break and dimly burning flax he would not put out. 
that he rebuilds and he restores and he is always in the build in the business of redeeming and restoring and rebuilding and rekindling flames that are just about out and we're going to notice today as well we're going to be looking at a snapshot of Macedonian liberality now, what, is, what do I mean a Macedonian reward? Let me read a text. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, which was a quite a mixed bag. The Corinthians had many spiritual gifts. They, were, they, they, they had a city that was a major city in the ancient Roman world, and it was a very corrupt city in a lot of ways. And this church was full of problems. But Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, because there is a famine in Jerusalem, and the saints at the mother church of Jerusalem are suffering greatly. And when the churches of Macedon the Philippian church, the Thessalonican church, and the Berean church, all these early churches Paul founded. When the Macedonian churches heard there was a need in Jerusalem, the scripture says they displayed the liberality and generosity of their hearts by giving themselves into their own poverty. Listen to what Paul said. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he goes, you guys, we want you to participate. And we're not talking about money today. We're talking about the heart that underlies all giving. The anointing that is going to shape our culture and is going to break every yoke of the enemy in our time is an outpouring of generosity, come of love, and of grace, just a cornucopia of liberality that is going to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. This next outpouring of the Holy Ghost is all about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the gentleness of God, the bloodstream of the kingdom is love, and there is going to be a canopy broken where the fruit of love is going to be so lavished upon this world that all the pressures and all the attacks of the enemy were going to drown out with liberality. We're going to drown out with mercy. We're going to drown, we are going to be the hoses of God's liberality of mercy and justice and goodness and gentleness and tenderness. Remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Get yoked up with me because I'm meek and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your souls. We are going to be the hoses through which all of heaven sprays judgment. No. Justice. No. Mercy mercy because it is the love of God it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance you know one preacher said you know we're beaten up by the world the flesh and the devil 24 hours a day and then we go to church and we get beaten up <laughs> beloved you're beaten up all the time I want to show you the heart of heaven I want to show you that the Lord Jesus Christ who you serve is a bruised reed he will not break Dimly burning flax he will not quench. And we're going to see today that Jesus sees what no one else sees. He's going to be in the temple. It's a few days before he is crucified. And he is going to demonstrate that he sees 
what is truly valuable. He sees what is truly great. And his disciples don't see much of anything. Because while they're enamored with the temple of Herod and they're enamored with the stones and they're enamored with all the loud trumpet-shaped receptacles that are receiving millions of dollars, they're enamored with that. Jesus is enamored with a widow woman who gives all that she has. The only holy thing in the temple that day that we're going to describe in just a few minutes was Christ himself and a widow woman. Because what she was doing in the temple, giving her life away, is what he was about to do in about three days. He saw himself in her. The disciples were looking at the stones of Herod's temple. Look, Lord, look at these majestic, and it is a majestic place. But Jesus said, not one stone you're looking at is going to be upon another in the next 40 years. All you're impressed with is going to be destroyed. You're enamored with the temple. I'm enamored with a widow. Boys, come over here. I want you to see something. He wanted to reveal a Macedonian heart. So we're not going to go into a great detail other than to say Macedonian giving represents the generous outpouring that we see in the Philippian church. Remember Philippians 4.19? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Okay, that's a beautiful promise, but that was not generically for every Christian. That was for the Philippian church who gave themselves into their own poverty and therefore produced spiritual liberality that Paul said to the Corinthians, you guys, you won't believe the, the heart of these Macedonian churches. You don't believe, I mean, they really put their money where their mouth is. I mean, they're not just giving financially. They're, they're so open and they're so liberal and they're so effusive when it comes to redemptive oil and, and, and pouring out the wine of their talents, gifts, and abilities. I want you guys to see the Macedonian heart. And that's the heart of this church. Our Bethel family is a generous wellspring of generosity at every level. You share your talents, you share your gifts, you share your abilities, you share your wisdom one with another. You share in prayer and intercession and, 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 and it's just, it's like sitting in a big spiritual jacuzzi pool being around you people. It's, you're like a spa. I go in, uh, torn down, I come out blessed, refreshed, encouraged. And that's what we mean by the Macedonian heart. The Macedonian givers were absolute, they were under severe trial they were in the midst of actual poverty because they had accepted Jesus, but they continued to express the wellspring of the love of God and would not stop. And Paul, <laughs> I'm just going to give you a few little facts about the Macedonians here and what Paul says about them. And then we're going to look at the widow's might. I hope you don't mind us looking at that precious lady. Paul says of the Macedonians, he says, in the midst of severe trial, they gave in the midst of trouble. You know, there's something about trouble and pressure. Everybody wants the oil. Nobody wants the crushing. <laughs> Everybody wants the wine. Nobody wants the crushing. Uh, the, the grape wants to stay intact and produce wine. It's impossible. The oil, the, the olive wants to stay intact and produce. It's impossible. There's a process. And the beauty of this process as we're being sanctified and transformed into the image of Jesus is that pressure becomes a picture frame in which God puts the portrait of his liberal children. He's showing his kids off right now. Trust me. 
Many of you that have just been in darkness and you say, oh, Craig, I, I, I'm, I'm just a jewel, just uh, at the bottom. I'm a pearl at the bottom of the ocean. It's all right. Jesus knows how to dive in, get you, and then hold you up to the light and say, look at my daughter. Look at that. There, oh, look, there's Kim. There's my dad. Look at this Erie here. Look at this. There's Jeff. Look at, look at these facets. You know, the more you spend time around people, the more you learn their facets. You can't know somebody with a photograph and a one-paragraph description. When is a new relationship safe? When it isn't new anymore. People have to get close enough to read the fine print of your life to know what kind of a document you are. And all God's daughters said, amen. All right. The Macedonians, they gave in the midst of severe trial. It says, secondly, they gave with abundant joy. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Oh, Paul's a master. And these are his babies. These are his spiritual children. What a blessing it is to be a father that has spiritual children. They're not perfect, but they're the perfect, imperfect people they need to be. And their hearts are Macedonian hearts. Generous, generous. My God shall supply whose needs? The needs of those who have been giving all of who they are down to the point of their absolute dissolution. That's what the Philippian church was. <laughs> I know it doesn't fit well in our culture to talk about that, but Paul says, look, these people who gave so much of themselves sacrificially, and by the way, money's just an expression of that. Hugs, there are other expressions of love. I mean, my love language is hugs and kisses and meaningful touch, which is the only legitimate love language of the five. <laughs> All these gift people and quality time people and whatever. Christ and my love language is hugs and kisses. We just lost a, we just lost a significant giver right there. Um, <laughs> Jesus knows every love language. He sees everything about you. And they're, they're, there's something so precious. So Macedonian hearts are this amazingly overflowing. You know, we, we taught on, um, I don't know if you remember, I taught on Judah. We did, a, we did a series you may want to look up. It's called The Roaring Twenties. And I talked about the next two years. And we mentioned Judah specifically because he was one of the uh, 12 sons of Jacob. But we noticed something about Judah's prosperity. And I just want to read a little reminder from the handout. It says, Judah's prosperity was seen to be ridiculous. He was seen as binding his donkey to the choicest vine. So immense was the productivity and the fruitfulness of the land that a donkey could be tied almost anywhere, an unclean donkey, which would certainly eat everything in sight and then run away to eat the rest. There would be so much prosperity that instead of using common water to do their laundry, the women would use the finest wines, the blood of grapes, to wash all their dirty laundry. Judah's eyes would sparkle with wine and his teeth would be white stained with milk. Nobody in the Old Testament would use a choice vine as a hitching post for his donkey. This describes a season so wealthy for the people, so prosperous that they can do outrageous things and not worry about the consequences. Isaiah 55, 1, milk and wine is the food of lovers. God 
offers choice and intimate food and drink for free. Now, the summation of Judah's life, and this is what I want you to see, uh, he had so many crops and so many ripe grapes that he could tie an unclean animal just to tear through and eat all it wanted and destroy anything it wanted because he wasn't going to run out. Because our faith is not in the well, but in the God that gives all the water. And so just imagine if just above your head right now, all that ripe fruit representing Judah's favor is just hanging in a light balloon above your head. Just imagine. They wash their clothes. We do six loads a day for Michael. Can you imagine washing in $180,000 bottles of wine? Well, I can. We did that just a few days ago, I think. Can you imagine instead of water that you could use the finest wines in the world? You go, well, that's extravagant. Yes, Macedonian liberality that Paul points out to the Corinthians was spiritually was like that. Richness just hanging overhead. Oil just ready to drop. Fruit, ripe juice just ready to drop. My friend's grandmother used to have blackberries in her uh, yard, and we would go and drive up. Oh, I love blackberries. But first of all, you're, you're trying to maintain some kind of dignity. You know, like you're at Whole Foods, and you buy that little crate with the blackberries. You know, hi, was this $900 for this? You know, all right. But they were everywhere. And I learned real quick that you couldn't touch any part of it without getting it all over you. So if you're like uh, anal about your outfit, you don't go to grandma's house because we were covered with it. But there was such a liberty. There's a point where I quit trying to not stain myself and I just started clawing at like Winnie the Pooh at the honey jar. And we were covered with, and I mean the clothes are ruined. You're, you're, I'd stain my hands, stain my face. I wasn't realizing that I was staining my cheeks and my lips were purple. So when you come back from grandma's house, people are sort of you know, at Starbucks, they're, gonna, they're not quite sure. It was such fruit. It was so luscious. It was so ripe. And beloved, I'm talking today about Macedonian rewards. Hear me. Many of you have been giving yourself away constantly. You have Macedonian hearts that give. Nobody even sees what you do. No one has been able to see what you do, except Jesus. He notices everything people don't notice. We're going to find out now he's in the temple. He's going to be dead by the end of the week. The Messiah, the God-man, is about to be publicly humiliated and be crucified. And the last thing he does is he goes into the temple, and the last week of his life, he is surrounded by tension. Beloved, the Macedonian moment is about pressure on all sides. Pressure, however, that reveals the oil, reveals the wine in God's precious people. Did you know there's something beautiful about pressure? You know, mama, mama used to complain about how we would use the toothpaste. We'd squeeze from the middle of the tube. That was verboten. Children in our family were executed for that. So we bought the little thing. Remember, you put to the bottom of the toothpaste tube so you could roll it up so you get every last bit of goodness. And even when that was all gone, my mom would still say, oh, there's enough in there for three more days. Mom, there's nothing left the toothpaste tube is empty. It's a dollar. I'll go myself. No, there's still more. My dad used to do that too. 
you'd finish eating a steak, and he'd look at the bone, and he'd go, you done with that? And he'd say, Merle, there's, uh, there's about three sandwiches. Put this in the fridge. Dad, there's not three sandwiches worth of meat anywhere on this bone. No, no, there's plenty. Here, are you, are you, are you, were you not going to eat anymore, Merle? Here, I've got, and then I would take the bone, lawyer that I was, hold it up to the light, and make my dad point out where the actual three days of meat remained. <laughs> and he'd go, when he got irritated, he'd go, and then I'd go, my mom would say, and I'd say, I was a charming child. <laughs> Takes one to know one. <clears throat> they, they were in the midst of severe trial. They gave with abundant joy. They gave sacrificially and generously. And listen, Second Corinthians eight three says they gave voluntarily. It was entirely on their own. They did not. They were not coerced. They were not impelled or compelled. They freely wanted. In fact, they pestered Paul. They were so persistent in their desire to give that they pleaded with Paul. They literally took him aside and spoke firmly to him. We will participate in the giving of this offering, and you have nothing to say about it. And Paul's going, you're under severe trial. You have no money. You are in poverty. And they go, and you will dare, you will take this offering to Jerusalem. That's who they were, the Macedonian churches, the Philippian church, Thessalonian church, the Berean church. What hearts? You can build a kingdom on earth with hearts like that. Paul said, it's the gold and the silver. Oh, that's, it's, it's, it's the material you work with. Wood, hay, and stubble burns up, but gold and silver. The Macedonian hearts that I'm addressing today are just about to receive a Macedonian generous blessing from God. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I want whatever Jesus has for me. Can you imagine Jesus giving you a gift, you know, for Christmas? You know, something I made in the yeah, just a little something I made for you. Wow. To have his commendation. We're going to find out that this little widow in the temple had something that none of the other people in the temple had, the favor of Jesus, the approval of Jesus. Can you imagine him just winking? I don't need much from him. I just occasionally, he'll give me a hug. He'll give me a wink. Let me find a collectible from the Napoleonic collection. You know, he gives me little trinkets that keep me going for six more months. Ooh, look at this. Ooh. I got one today. Well, yesterday in the mail. We'll talk later off. The... There's something about Christ commending you or the, the little golf clap of his. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I only want his approval. I only want his Yes, I only want his attaboy because we're going to see that Jesus is just about to die. Is he having a glorious ministry season? No, everybody hates him. The pressure is unbelievable. In Mark chapter 12, we're going to read in just a second about the, the, the widow, the little widow who gives two mites. She gives the, just the tiniest offering you could conceive of, but her offering is heard by the angels in heaven. Boy, God has a different opinion of what's great versus we, who's great. What God notices, what men notice. The disciples are still enamored with Herod's temple, and Jesus goes, forget about this. It's going to be gone in 40 years. You fools, as always, you missed the point. 
Christ is enamored with a widow because she has a Macedonian heart, because she didn't give leftovers. She gave all that she had, wholly devoted to God. She was the only person in that place at that moment that was as holy as Jesus was. When holy things collide, Jesus notices. Maybe you've gone unnoticed. All right. But isn't it a treat to know that he controls heaven and earth. He holds the elements together by the word of his power. And when he says yes to you, nobody can say no. Reinhard Bonnke used to say, when God says yes, nobody can say no. Isn't that a comfort? And he's about to drop a Macedonian reward for, for stored up years of service that nobody has seen, but he sees everything. Remember when he put them in the boat, the disciples, and he said, go to the other side, right? That was simple, right? He didn't say go halfway and drown. He said, go to the other side. And it says, while they were out in the midst of their struggle, it says, Jesus saw them. Now, you may not see him, but he always notices everything about you. And he'll get in the boat at just the right moment. <coughs> And he walked on the water to do it. And they thought he was a devil. Perceptive Christian people. Misreading everything. Misperceiving everything. Like the disciples, look at these big stones in the temple, Jesus. And Jesus calls him over and says, boys, come here. Come here. I want to show you something that is the most sacred thing in this temple. And it's a little woman Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worthy only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had, to live on. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Sandwiched in between the pressure of him being utterly rejected by the religious spirit of the leaders and the judgment he's about to declare on the temple because, you know, once the temple becomes an unsafe place, it has to go. Once a church becomes an unsafe place, Jesus said, I'll remove that candlestick. Remember the seven churches in Revelation? He said to them, Keep the right heart. Don't get arrogant. Don't get prideful because I will take you out as soon as I put you up. Because once the church becomes unsavory and unsafe, and once the temple now becomes an unsafe place, it has to go. And Jesus has just spent all day. This is what his day was like. I don't know how your day was. But in Mark chapter 12, he just got done with giving the parable of the tenants. He sat in view of all the religious leaders and he said, you know, there was a guy that had a beautiful vineyard and he gave it out and he lent it out and, you know. And he was speaking of Israel. He was speaking of the people of God. And he said, you know, and then they, they, he, he eventually sent his son to get payment and they said, let's take the son and kill him. So he tells a parable of the tenants, which actually is speaking to the people that are running the temple who have the worst religious spirit you've ever seen in your life. These are the people who were supposed to be feeding the widow, and she entrusted her care to them, and they were eating her house. Jesus gives a picture. 
He says, these scribes that you watch walk around in big robes are using their prayers as ladles to eat the houses of widows. Those who they're supposed to support, they're devouring. And now this was the quality of religious leadership at the time of the Lord. <laughs> it wasn't. It's improved a bit over time. But you notice there are still the tensions of a religious spirit that takes authority. It begins to grind down. They don't have I-thou relationships with people. They have I-it relationships where people are a means to an end. This poor widow we're about to be introduced to, she had nothing. She lived in an underbelly world of utter marginalization. She was supposed to throw herself on the mercy of people that kept the law of Moses. But instead, Jesus said, they were devising means legally by which they could steal a widow's home. See, the rabbis, the, the scribes, the teachers, they weren't supposed to charge for their teaching ability, but they could live on the beneficence of others. So they would tend to target vulnerable widows. Now, in a widow, remember, she's strike three. She's a woman, she's a widow, and she's poor. Three strikes in this culture that depends upon wealth and family connections. If you were a widow, you were a part of the marginalized, you, you were so marginalized that, that you'd endured utter loss you'd endured utter victimization. And these men who were wearing robes and running the temple actually had stolen. They reduced her down to two little mites. But is she bitter? No. You choose to get bitter or better, by the way. Make the right choice. She fought off offense. She could have been offended, but she gave. She'd been uh, marginalized and excluded, yet she gave. Notice she's keeping her spirit clean. Beloved, keep your Macedonian heart clean. Don't let any bitterness of any kind, do not allow even a root of bitterness to get in because the second it gets in, it puts down a root and you defile yourself and everyone else. Come on now. This woman had every right to compare herself with others and go, gee, I guess I don't have anything. She started with nothing. And now Jesus said, after he's just told the parable of the tenants, then all of his enemies start asking him questions. They're trying to trap him in order to get him to say something wrong so they can have him killed. So they come and say, Lord, is it right that we pay taxes to Caesar? Oh, they just have an innocent question. If he says no, they'll commit, uh, he's committing treason against the Roman Empire. If he says yes, they're saying, well, God's not pleased with that. So they're asking him trick questions to set him up. He's under a lot of pressure, folks, and he's going to be dead in a few days. But this pressure, he dealt with the parable of the tenants. They ask him about taxes, and he gets out of that. He says, oh, show me the coin. Whose picture's on the coin? Tiberius Caesar. Then it must be his property if his picture's on it. Surrender unto Caesar what belongs to him, and you as an image bearer of God who bear the imprint of God, why don't you give yourself to the one who made you? Woo! You can't corner him. At 12, he was asking questions and giving answers that blew everyone's minds. He's blowing their minds today. Then the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in anything, they ask a trick question about Leverite marriage. There was a woman whose husband died and without seed, and her brother married her, and he died without seed. And they, seven guys were hooked up with her. Uh, who is she going to be married to in the resurrection? Jesus. Trick questions to embarrass him. He answered that one, too. And then after a day of questions comes the question of the day. He said, you've been asking me questions all day. I thought I might ask you a question. The Messiah, whose son is he? 
He said, the son of David. He goes, that, that's right. But how come David in Psalm 110.1 calls Messiah his Lord? So how's Messiah going to be, as he declares himself in Revelation, the root and offspring of David? How is the Messiah both David's descendant and David's Lord? Hmm. Two natures united in one person. Anybody make any sense out of that? And they durst not ask him any more questions. So it's been a long day, Aunt Sheila. And so he goes into the temple, and he goes to the court of the women, and there are 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles in the walls, and this is where over a million people during the Passover season are coming in to give their obligatory half-shekel temple tax or offerings for different things. And these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles, you've heard me mention it before, they were really sort of little up top, big in the bottom, and you would pour in your gifts. And there were different, uh, the first two were an obligatory kind of tax, but all the rest of them, when you were going to make an offering, if you were going to make a burnt offering or a meal offering or a, uh, or a sin offering or a trespass offering or a peace offering, you paid certain amounts for those offerings. And if you had any money left over after buying that offering, see, you could put the money in and they would allot the animal. The, the moment our Lord died, there were 200,000 lambs being slain at that moment. 200,000. And that blood just pouring down into the Kidron Valley. You had to buy. You had to buy those sacrifices, and so the thirteen trumpet-shaped receptacles—they all had different little uh, things. If you were going to buy turtle doves for a sacrifice, you would put your money in a certain one. And if you were going to buy, if you were a leper that had just been cleansed, you had a certain little place you could put your money. If you had a Nazarite vow that you'd made to the Lord and cut your hair off and burned it, you could have a little thing. But the thirteenth trumpet was the trumpet for free will offering. It wasn't obligatory. It was just, if you're just grateful to God and you just love the Lord and you just want to help somebody, she's a widow. She is without means. She's invisible in this culture, but she's not invisible to the Son of God. After that long day, he comes in. He sits down, I think, in front of trumpet thir 13. He's watching, and he says, boys, quit looking at the stones of the temple and those pretty women over there. Come here. Come here. And they go, what, what? They're just enamored to be in there. And he goes, do you see that little woman, little widow woman over there? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, not really, but uh-huh, what? She's over at trumpet number 13. She just gave a gift. And now that all the rich are pouring their gifts in, and there's nothing wrong with the rich giving of their substance. Amen? It's just they never gave anything that hurt them. Do you know what Bill Gates would have to give to tithe, like for him to go, oh, you know the feeling. <laughs> Come on. You know. Whether that's $100 out of 1,000, there's always something. <laughs> there's just a little. Otherwise, you're giving a tip, right? It's just, hey, your majesty. Here's a little tipsky, Jesus. Hey, here you go. A friend of mine that runs a very powerful ministry told me that she was driving in the car and there was a preacher from Chicago. She was driving from the airport and he began to talk. Now, she's the woman that is in control of this guy's whole ministry. And the guy wanted a Diet Coke from her and then he gave her a $20 bill on the way. He thought she was like his driver and she runs the entire ministry. <laughs> and he wanted to know where the man was that ran all this. 
She's a gracious woman. <laughs> she has to endure with dignity and grace all these preachers tromping all over the place. And he was in the backseat saying, you know, I booked a venue for this preacher in Chicago. She goes, I book all the venues. This guy's lying like a rug. So you, you never know who you're with. So just be nice to everybody, right? Jesus is sitting, and, he's, and, and they're enamored with all the noise that the rich gifts are bringing. Everybody's purposely, you know, reducing everything to pennies so they can get the extra punch. I remember as a kid when I was at Magic Mountain as a boy, they'd pay me my whatever it was to do the show, you know, and I'd, I'd have my parents go get $1 bills. So I'd be in my room with 300 $1 bills going, oh, oh, look at this. And I'd throw it up in the air. You know, I really thought it was um. Well, they were doing that too, like the coin machine at Vaughn's. And Jesus, he ignores that, does nothing. And he sees this woman with two, it's called a lepton. Two of these things were 165th of a denarius. That was a day wage. That was equal to about six minutes of work, what you would earn. And she comes in with this, and she's unaware she's being watched. But, beloved, when your generous Macedonian heart is kicking in and you're just loving on the Lord, he loves it. There's just something about when my babies would draw me pictures. What? My daughter drew me a picture. I've kept them because they mean more to me than any gold-framed Napoleonic. No, I'm going too far. Um, <laughs> go to hell for lying quick as you do for stealing. All right. <laughs> but what is it about your child that makes you a little? I still collect it all. I've got them all in a bin. There's something sacred about the child's picture that transcends everything else. And that's the way it is with Jesus. See? This woman was not on display. She was not a scribe trying to show off. She was not being showy at all. In fact, she was just so humble that she comes into the house, and I believe to that 13 trumpet, and she just sort of looks around and she drops it, and Jesus says, Stop everything. Because when holy things collide, Jesus stops the show. Freeze frame, the whole movie stops. And he says to the disciples, you have a new mentor today, boys. Her. Look. They gave leftovers. She gave all that she has. She's the only one in this house right now that's utterly dependent on the Father besides me. Because I'm about to lose everything for you and be stripped of all to die I see myself in her, not the scribes with the robes and the phylacteries and the money and the no, 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 no. And there's nothing wrong with money. And all the people said, amen. <laughs> Pour in your leftovers into the trumpets. In fact, David, we're going to make our own 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. It'll be our new reason to get the spirit to leave. All right. Gretchen just had agreed too much with that. <laughs> she's an outcast. She's marginalized. She's completely ruled out, completely victimized, and yet she becomes the mentor to disciples. And he says, look, Jesus sees what men don't see. He values things differently than men do. Jesus is the true priest and Lord of the temple, and he sees her and her gift, and the contrast is 
immense. He says, you got these guys strutting around like theological peacocks because they love the chief feast seats at the synagogue and they love to be called rabbi in public, doctor, and they love to sit in the front row of the synagogue with their back to everybody else. And Jesus, he highlights this. And can I just read from the Passion Translation? This is just, this just blessed me. He says to the Pharisees, Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds and pretenders for you. Eat up the widow's household with the ladle of your prayers. Oh my God, their prayers were ladles by which they were eating the houses of the very widows they were charged to protect. So Jesus says to that spirit, you're coming down, and this whole temple that is now unsafe is coming down. But sandwiched in between was God's little plumb line, I call her. You know what a plumb line is. It's a little piece of metal on the end of a string that you build a house or a wall with. And then if it goes south, you bring that plumb line out, and you measure the wall again, and you can see where it's off. You're a half bubble off plumb. Ever heard that line? I've heard that all my life. <laughs> He's been raising hopes and eyebrows for 45 years. He's half a bubble off plum. You know what that means. A few fries shy of a combination plate, right? Well, she was the little plum line. She was standing there in the holy temple demonstrating what, how crooked everything was and everything Jesus was about done with. And he says to the disciples, I want you to look at her. She has a Macedonian heart. Look at her liberal spirit. Look at that sweet heart. She loves me for me. She doesn't love me for my stuff. God, remember he did that with Job? Remember the devil said, nobody loves you for you. They just love you for your stuff. And God said, that's not, not my servant Job. Not my servant Gretchen. Not my servant Mike. Not my servant David. They love me for me. I thou. Not I it. Not subject, object, subject, subject. And Jesus said, that little woman loves God for God. And you know what? She's given everything now, so he is the only thing she's got. She gets up and walks out of there. There's no food. There's no social system. There's no food stamps. There's nothing. She's a widow. She doesn't even have family support. She's dead for all practical purposes. But I don't think God let her die. Now, we don't hear anything in the text, but I got a feeling that when Jesus Christ himself notices you and says, Hey! <laughs> There's my little girl. Look at her again. Look at her being faithful anyway. Look at her giving despite circumstances. Look at her trusting only me. And she's walking on water. And I'm all she has. That's my girl. That's my boy. Try to shut him down again. He's going to get back up. The righteous man falls seven times, but he will get up again. That's my liberal Macedonian girl. That's my little Macedonian boy. What generous hearts. The Lord of the temple is just about to do what the woman just did. You have everything. Now, you know, I think of it sometimes. Again, we're not talking about money today because that's just a symptom. That's just a fruit of liberality. Amen? And, you know, would you really want to receive money from a loved one that hates your guts and is giving only to shame you? I know somebody whose family withholds money from them just so they will beg, just so that they can give them trouble about doling it out. 
Beloved, the Bible says, the widows that are defrauded, I see, God said. God said, though if you defraud a widow and an orphan, you're dealing with me personally. Nothing cuts into the heart of God like the prayers of a crying child. And God says, you exploit my precious little widows and my orphans, my children because they love me. You deal with me. You get Aslan, the lion, not the lamb. Remember in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, the last scene when Aslan takes the queen down, rah, rips her head off, I'm going, yes! Jadis, the wicked queen, thinks she's all that in a bag of chips, and Aslan comes up at the last moment and just pounces on her, and he just stares her down for a second before he bites her head off. There's just that moment. It's like, oh, did you think you were in charge? <laughs> and there's just a how. That's all you hear. And we all go, Yes! Beloved, he is gracious and he's merciful. And yes, it may seem like forever that you're serving in liberality from the Macedonian heart. It's okay. Keep pouring out your oil. Keep blessing others. Keep praying for others. This woman was in abject poverty and she's giving to the poor in the 13th trumpet. What? See, that's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Look at these Macedonians. I can't believe I produced people like this in the spirit. They're just giving and giving and giving, and they have nothing, and then they reach down by faith and summon something else up out of their abject poverty to give some more. And, and, they're, and they're mad dog and Paul. If you don't let us give to the Jerusalem saints, you'll have more scars head to toe. You know, it's like, what? Okay, okay, I'll take your offering, okay. When I was 16, and I had one of my first opportunities to preach, and I wore a, oh, a suit that you wouldn't believe. It was the most god-awful suit someone gave me. You know, it's horrible, give it to the pastor, that kind of thing, yeah. And I was wearing it, and I was just a ghost. You know, it was like big with Tom Hanks. I just didn't fit in the suit. And I preached my heart out, bless his heart. An older pastor with white hair sat in the back and just, just I think, ground his teeth. Uh, Every other word was crap. Well, we're not going to listen to the devil's crap. And there's enough crap in the church. Crap, 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 crap. You know, I mentioned that as much as I did Jesus. And he just sort of sat in the back and he, and he showed mercy. <laughs> and at the end of this sermon, this precious girl. Now, I had $200 in my pocket. And this precious young woman came up to me with her little child. And she was obviously in dire straits. And she took $2 out of her little purse, and she handed it to me. Now, everything in me was going to grab the $200 out of my pocket and bless her. And the Lord says, don't you dare refuse that gift right now or I will not use you. I'll never use you. And I put, I put my hand out of my pocket, and I said, thank you, dear. God bless you, and may the Lord reward you. And I put the $2 I didn't need in my pocket because she was a widow, and she was giving all that she had. How dare I think I'm going to interrupt such a holy moment? And I did once I did what was right. She's exploited, yet she gave. Lost everything, yet she gave. Intimidated, no doubt, by the uber-wealthy around her. That's got to be intimidating. But, you know, I was thinking, when we ask the Lord for something, do we want 10% of what he has to offer, or do we want 100% of what he has for us? 
Did Jesus die for 10% of your sins? No, he died for 100% of your sins. Thank God. And he doesn't want 10% of us. He wants all of us. That's all. He wants your heart. When you really think of it, as fancy as gold is, it's the dust of the earth. I mean, you know, God goes, oh, wow, they're bringing me dust. That's, by the way, that's, that we pave the roads in heaven with this concrete, by the way, that you're bringing. I mean, you know, good, good for you, <laughs> but it's, it's a product of the dust of the earth, and God goes, you yeah, know, wow, I really need that. You know, God said to his people Israel, he goes, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> And I wouldn't eat your offerings because you send me the lame animal. Take that to the governor of your feast and see if he's going to eat it. Because you bring me, you know, something wrong with that sheep. Sacrifice it to the Lord. <laughs> God goes, I, I could drink the oceans. I don't need your drink offering. I want your heart. I just want you, all of you, not 10% or 12 and a quarter. Okay, okay. All bets are off. 15% of my life you get. He wants it all. And that woman, the widow's mind, she, gent she is the Macedonian portrait. Now, was she under pressure? Yes. Was Christ under pressure? Absolutely. He's about to go to Gethsemane and feel the pressure of the weight of the sins of the world. So he sweats, as it were, great drops of blood. But before that, the Father blessed him by showing this little woman. He said, honey, your sacrifice is going to be worth it because I'm going to give you billions of these precious little Macedonian hearts. That little widow woman is your reward. And he endured the shame of the cross for the joy set before him of knowing that you were his beloved daughter. You would be his beloved son. Isn't he a wonderful Jesus? He notices everything we don't or won't he values things. He has a whole different uh, calculus when it comes to measuring the value of things. He sees it all. And beloved, all you need is his favor. If he puts his nail-scarred hand on you and says, this is my son, this is my girl, that's all you need. That's all you need. We're in a Macedonian moment. Stress? Absolutely. On all sides? Oh, it's cheer up, saints. It's getting worse. But here's the good news. <laughs> The crushing produces the beauty of this kind of Judah release of favor and blessing. I don't know about you, but the greatest privilege of my life has been to be able to serve the Lord and to name his name and to bless somehow, someone, somewhere. But, you know, I felt his presence in my life certain times where I had to ask him to stop. It was too much. He gives us just a quarter of a billionth of an inch of a drop of his presence, and it's too much. It's overwhelming. When people saw his glory, they fell, and they couldn't talk. There's a lot too much talking and too much walking going on right now in the church. Amen. But that's going to change. Because when the Macedonian rewards start falling, people start falling, and pride starts falling, and, and bondages start falling off, and yokes start falling off, and then you just get up free. You go into the fire, but you come out free. And that's what he's about to do, beloved. And I want to pray over you. I'm talking about you right now. Bow your head and close your eyes if you could. I extend right now in Jesus' name my hand to every one of you. You've served him secretly. You've, you've been liberal and generous, little Macedonian giver. You've done things nobody knows about. You've helped people, maybe that didn't even deserve your help. That's a Macedonian heart. 
You've done things. You showed up faithful even when you were just living on faithfulness. One moment to the next. God says, I see that. And as sure as that widow was rewarded, you will be rewarded for your Macedonian liberality. Father, for your precious daughter right now, I, I extend my hand as though it were yours. And I touch her right now, Lord. I pray that your hand would fall upon her head, that she would feel right now, Lord, the favor of your love, the, the, the deep, rich thank you. She will hear you say, thank you, honey, for all that you've done and all that you are. I love you for who you are. I love you right where you are, not as you should be. Put your hand upon your daughters, Lord. Remove any pain, anguish that has come when others have uh, mismanaged, misused, abused, harmed. Father, let your nail-scarred hand soak up all the wounds and all the pain and all the bitterness and all the hurt and confer, Lord, a Judah blessing of utter fruitfulness to your daughter from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, in the name of Jesus. And Father, for your precious son, I extend my hand as though it were yours. Lord, thank you for this precious son of Adam, that you, Jesus, would bestow a Macedonian reward upon him. Even with all his sinfulness and brokenness, his heart's right. He's done so many things for you and for others. But all he sees is his own unrighteousness. Lord, pour a Macedonian reward upon this boy, this man, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we do receive Macedonian rewards right now. Lord, we're willing to open our hands and our hearts and say, bless me, Lord. Open the windows of heaven. Pour out a blessing that we would have no means to contain in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. Can you give him praise for a minute? It's a Macedonian moment, beloved. It's a moment where liberality is being liberally rewarded. And we're going to stay in this for a few weeks because I want you to see pressure produces an opportunity, that of a frame, to highlight your liberal heart. Your liberal gift. And, and, and whether you're giving your talent, your gifts, your abilities, your, your fellowship, you don't know what it means just to talk to you on the phone sometimes, just to have you pray. Just to fellowship with you for a few minutes is, is nourishing to my soul. See? I get to hang out with people I actually like. I'm sure God loves most of his people, but I, I love and like you. So no one else is allowed in. Dennis, lock the door. We love you too, but you know you're welcome here. You can belong whether your behavior or your belief is all perfect right now. You can belong because I've found when you're loved and a place is safe and secure, you grow like that. You just grow. That's all you can do. You know, when something's alive, it eats, it goes to the bathroom, and it grows. Hmm? Eh? It eats. And then it produces an awful lot of toxic garbage, and then it grows. And you eat, and you go to the bathroom, and you grow. You're alive. You're alive. So if we can just draw a circle of love here around you and just let you be where you are and let God do what he wants to do in and through you, you will be a sturdy tree of righteousness that grows up in the house of the Lord. Amen. Macedonian rewards. David, we have our own David Logman, and David's going to bring the table of the Lord 
and I just want you just to just to just to look at the fact that Jesus saw in the widow himself. He saw what he was about to do in a few days, which is what David's going to lead us in right now. The memorial of the fact of his sacrifice. So liberal towards us. If you wonder if he loves you, look at the cross. We love you, David. Those of you at home, you go ahead and grab your elements. Even if you don't have formal elements, you can grab a little water, maybe a little cracker or a little bread, and we can go to the table together. So we'll, we'll wait just a moment for you. David, greet them. And May the peace of Jesus be on you today. Thank you. We're going to start with the cup today. I was reading in the Old Testament this week, and I was just reminded that every time I see the word saves, or the word savior, or the word salvation, it's Yeshua. It's Yeshua. That's the Hebrew name for Jesus. And I was reading in uh, Isaiah 53, it's just my favorite chapter in all of the Old Testament. It's the gospel, and just it's, it's so amazing. And then I went to chapter 54, and I saw something that just caught my heart, and it was just so beautiful. And I want to read it to you because this is what God promises to those that receive the Messiah that believe in his Yeshua. Listen to what God says. This is Isaiah 54, 9. For this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more cover the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. Isn't that beautiful? God's promising never to be angry with you or rebuke you because of your faith in Yeshua, his son. How is that possible? Because of the blood of Jesus. All your sins are removed. You're in perfect harmony with the Father because he accepts you 100% because of this. Let's partake. The reason I wanted you to receive that first, there's so many believers that don't think they're qualified to receive healing. They don't think they deserve to be whole and well. So it's important to know that God poured out all his anger on Jesus at the cross. The rebuke that you and I deserve fell on Jesus so that now we can receive that healing that Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us to receive. So let's break the bread. And let's receive it now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for freeing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took all the anger that God had against our sin on the cross. Thank you that we're forever free because of your sacrifice. We glorify you and praise your holy name. May you be blessed this week. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. 
And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.